Hey there, uh, welcome to We've Been Had, a song-by-song song walk through the songs of Uncle Tupelo. I'm Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And, uh, and we're just like clockwork on that. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, and I'm Anthony Kiedis, just to keep our, <laughs> our Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, like bit going, but... Then I was worried somebody would actually think I was in Anthony Kiedis and try to sell me heroin. It, <laughs> what we should do is have... We should just have someone come on sometime and impersonate Anthony <laughs> Kiedis and do the show in character. I would, that would be a, that'd be a good way to see who our true friends are. Okay, that's, that's coming down off the shelf sometime. Uh, today we are closing out the original release version of March 16th through 20th, 1992. Although there's still going to be, um, I think, an episode's worth of bonus material to deal with. But still, this is a big deal. This puts us three quarters of the way through the canon. Uh, songs we're covering today are Fatal Wound, Sandusky, and Wipe the Clock. I should have asked you this off. How dare you? I know. Uh, did you have anything to discuss before we, we jump in? Just like an airing of grievances or, yeah, or, or about about the album? Or? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we would, sometimes we have... Sometimes there's a little discussion here before. Yeah, I guess we should probably acknowledge that some Volt is playing... Yeah, which uh, is a weird... Playing in Minneapolis tonight, I believe. I or think, is it next Tuesday? No, it's it's later this week. Later this week. It's the Eels are tonight, which is like oh, another... Oh, right, yes. Which, okay, and I don't know, maybe I'll edit this out, but I was going to ask... We saw the Eels last year, right? Yeah. Am I remembering that right? Uh-huh. Because it seems weird that they're back again. Yeah, uh, that might have been two years ago, but I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, that's... Uh, so, like, for me... You know, Sunvolt coming is like the the highest extension of this, where like part of me feels like, well, we got to go see Sunvolt. Just, you know, we're doing this show. We're duty bound to go see them. But then part of me feels like, well, I've, I mean, like what's left to see with Sunvolt? And yeah, and then, oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, the last time I saw, I didn't, don't know if it was JFR or Sunvolt. It was awesome. So oh. I feel like I kind of want to leave it on that high for yeah. a while. I think that's legit. That's kind of where I'm at with the eels, where like I saw they were coming, and you know, usually I'd be like, Oh my god, eels, but like we saw them pretty recently, and I don't know, you know, like I used to be into like if a band you like is in town, you have to go see them every time, but the returns diminish on that no matter how much you love them, yeah. And it just, I think it, it's not that you get tired of it, it's just you get. I don't know. You want to go to new shows and see new things you haven't seen before. Yeah. Yeah. At this point where you're like comparing, you know, like, well, they, this version of Windfall is, you know, it's a little better than the last time they did it. But, oh, they changed. You know, like, like occasionally that can be really rewarding. But a lot of times that's. I mean, I was that guy. Absolutely. In, you know, yeah. like in like uh, 1998 to 2004. But. Uh, hopefully age has, has helped mellow that out. I have that in me, is what yeah. I'm saying. Well, the weird thing, there was a stretch where, like, Wilco especially would, like, kind of reward that. You know, where, like, like Tweety would, like, do a song completely differently. You know, it, they'd, it'd be like, we're going to do the arena metal version of Box Full of Letters. And you'd see it and be like, oh, holy shit, yeah. But, you know, he kind of got away from that. And nobody else even really does that. Yeah, it's it. I mean, that was sort of my like my like how the sausage was made moment when we we went to back to back Wilco shows, uh, one all age and one twenty one plus, and uh, they played the exact same set. Yeah, both nights, and I'm like, 
you know, you know it's, it's like you know like just just being naive right like, yeah like i'm like oh this is gonna be awesome we're gonna see a totally different set but like just in terms of like convenience for them and yeah. like, you know like arrangements and stuff it's probably easier just to have a, a like have your set and play it although I, neil young did very when he was here for his whatever four night stand yeah. he did vary it quite a bit so i, I think any possible decision in the music business that you know that a musician can make neil young's gonna do it differently <laughs> like, i think that's just the essence of being neil young. true good and good or bad yeah exactly okay well shall we uh, get into fatal yeah wound? let's talk let's talk about the fatal wound all right okay fatal wound um you don't like the fatality of it or the, <laughs> the wounding? I it, I feel fatally wounded by it. I I gotta say, this is to me, this is not one of the great Uncle Tupelo songs. Um, even in my super fan days, this was one where I'd just be like, uh, you know, like if I, if I was listening to this album on tape in my car, it, you wouldn't fast forward because that was such a pain in the ass. But you'd be like, oh come on, get through it. And there's just there's no energy here and Tweety's barely singing. It's uh it reminds me a little bit of of sort of a a nascent version of some of the stuff on being there. It's got that like kind of hollow quality to yeah. it that like far far away and red-eyed and blue. Yeah. Have. But it's almost like he you know like he played with it here and kind of perfected it later. Well that's yeah, I mean I had a note that was kind of similar that like there was like this middle stage of his career or not middle, I guess early stage of his career where he just seemed to have some version of this song always trying to come out of him and like, you know, not always very successful. I feel like AM is also kind of littered with not successful takes in this same thing. And then being there, it started to, you know, the dough started to set. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like being there is kind of the start of a different era. Yeah. Like, uh, AM is kind of, for me at least, is sort of like an extension of not really wanting to let Uncle Tupelo go. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, being there is sort of the start of, sort of like, being there and then uh, Summer Teeth. Is it being there, Summer Teeth, and then uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot? Yeah. That's a pretty good three-album run. Yeah. That's, I mean, I... I'd put that pretty high. I agree. That, uh, but but he had to work to get there. So, so interestingly, uh, when I Google Fatal Wound, I got a uh, record or a artist record bio from Amoeba Records, which is like a, it's a pretty famous music store in uh, San Francisco. Okay. It's uh, right by Golden Gate Park. So okay. like you can go in there and get your get your LP and then go buy drugs in Golden Gate Park. <laughs> uh, but, but for whatever reason, they have this super detailed, like, artist bios. Okay. Um, and then they, they further segment them by albums. And I wanted to run this by you. This is the, this is the segment of this part of this album. Okay. And it says, Tweety's compositions, again, prove an essential foil and counterweight, offering intimacy and contrast with Farrar's big picture narratives. He puts a human face on the suffering of the working class in songs like Fatal Wound and Black Eye. 
I don't know. I mean, if someone sincerely feels that in their heart, I can't tell them they're wrong. But I, this song especially to me, I, I guess it, it feels like an attempt to put a human face on the working class, but it, it, it just kind of feels like undergrad poetry to me. That's like not there. I love undergrad. I love undergrad poetry. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm just, just be the smart ass. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I'd be curious to ask him why he called the song fatal wound. Yeah. Like, cause it doesn't, like it could be called a number of things, right? I think like the last line is you perceive that fatal wound. Yeah. And it could be like, you know, like I don't know. And, it, and it's in a couple it's a couple songs later, but it's you know, wipe the clock, Ferrar's got that line that's like gravity's the winner. Yeah. And like I feel like that's a much better way to say you've received that fatal wound. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. is that is that what he's trying to get at? Like it's just accumulation of blows. I like, think so. Um, you know, which is kind of the same thing that's going on in black eye so like i i you know i i can see why amoeba clamps those two songs together but at the same time like that mean you know like at this stage of the game when tweedy wasn't writing about himself and maybe he was writing about himself with these maybe he's describing his experience but there's like this sameness to it all that is not is not my favorite yeah, it's and maybe it's kind of where it falls in the album too. Like you, you haven't exactly been like uplifted at this point. Yeah, you know, we've we've gone through the plight of the coal miner. You know, <laughs> we've had our murder ballad. We're fearing nuclear war. Right, like we're you know, we're we're hitting the the late eighties hammer pretty hard at this point. Well, and I just I think um, you know whatever my beefs with the songwriting, I just I don't like the way this one is. Put together like we talked earlier about how he sings differently on this album you know he's like he's low and he doesn't have the high energy that he usually does and it works pretty well in a couple of songs but unless the material's really good like it just this mode of singing doesn't suit him you know like it's uh in his memoir he quotes somebody i can't remember who telling him that like you know Putting him in a headlock and be like, Jeff Tweedy, you sing best when you're desperate. And he's not singing like he's desperate here. He's just singing like he's feeling kind of mopey. Does it feel, like, feel to you at all like he's trying to write a Jay Farrar song? Yeah, it, totally. Like, it, and and sing it like Jay Farrar style. And that's not that's not playing to his strengths at all. That would like, you know, it'd be like me going out and trying to play basketball like Kevin Garnett. Right. You know, like, just not not what I'm built for. Not. No part of me is. I don't know. You got to play to your strengths. I uh, yeah. I, I I guess along those lines, like I've got this note saying, like I just I don't have much else to say about the lyrics here because for the first three albums, the failure mode of Uncle Tupelo lyrics is just a different way of saying "boy ain't life a bummer," and I think that's what this is. Yeah. And, uh, it's uh. It interestingly, and I'll show you this this is going to work great on a podcast but uh, i found this there's a while i was doing my research there's this like in the belleville public library there's Holy like this shit. uncle tupelo shrine that's it's pretty right display case with different like memorabilia and that is pretty cool so i mean i who knows if they've ever set foot in the, <laughs> the belleville <laughs> library but 
there is at least a little uh, homage to them there. Very cool. I'm going to try to do more visual explanations. <laughs> I think that's a really good way for people to... I, I think and then, then you should write... Every time you have a visual, you should write a haiku that describes it. I, I was planning on doing that anyway. Excellent. Um, uh, see, looking at the production of this, this is also a, just... A, I think this is a weirdly produced song. I guess John Keane is playing bass. I think just guessing based on the way the guitar sounds i think it's tweedy just like hammering out the chunky chords so i don't think farrar's doing anything on this or hydorn and then there's a there's a pedal steel going on in there which like by credits that's keen too so i don't know if they overdubbed that back in or if i don't know what the fuck's going on with that then it sounds like there's like a full string section which uh, there's only one credited violinist so i don't know if they overdubbed that or did the smashing pumpkins trick where you you layered in there like a thousand times yeah i I mean like i think so just the reason i'm belaboring this is like i think there are like two overdubbed parts on this and that's weird because there isn't much of that on this album and it's like why this song if that's what's going on like why were they yeah that is strange because you'd think you would if you were going to do well first of all you when you're making an album like this, you think there wouldn't be a lot of overdubs? Yeah. Because, like, Anodyne is... Isn't Anodyne famous for not having any overdubs? Supposedly, and... Yeah, we're going to need to dig into that, because if that's true, that's... That's an act of God. Yeah, it's like a hootenanny. <laughs> but it it is strange that you would... You know, you're making this kind of stripped-down... folk uh, country album, and you, you add in enough... Uh, bunch of string overdubs it's yeah. a strange it's a strange uh, strategy i actually i think if i was hostile to this song when i was younger i think it might have been the string part that that brought me down like i just don't like string part like like that specific type of string part laid over you know it's usually over a rock song or i don't know whatever you'd call popular music of the 70s that isn't rock um i call it awesome that's what i call it <laughs> <laughs> there's like there's like this certain i don't know you, you know what i mean like for a while there were just like shitty strings on a lot of music and like this is this sounds like the same kind of shitty strings like that stupid 90s song that had that cello that was just like yes bittersweet yes that's it yeah yes i remember that like somewhere there somewhere there's a person Who's credited with playing with playing that annoying? Like, <laughs> I don't true. even know if it's a cello, but it sounds like a cello part. You know, so was that band the band that did that? Was that the Verve or the Verve Pipe? Good question. I think it's the Verve Pipe, but I could be wrong. I could be. I could have those two flipped. Whatever that band is, I just remember like in undergrad, uh, you know, you get together with other people around on around campus who also played instruments. And I just remember like meeting this guy who had a pretty nice bass, but had a sticker for, I can't remember if it's the Verve or the Verve pipe, but whichever band did that song, you know, just like, like the main, the body of his bass was covered with the sticker for this shitty band. It's like you, <laughs> that's a good way to ruin a good bass. <laughs> you idiot. What are you doing? I'm trying to think of what, like that, that's a degree of fandom that, like, I'm just not. Right. It's hard for me to 
like a weird fandom. Yeah. Like, like being a super fan of like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a comparable example, like collective soul or something <laughs> like, like, yeah. I, you know, like, like if you saw someone with like a clash sticker on their guitar, you'd be like, well, yeah, I mean, that's not great, but okay. Good band. Like, okay. I like the clash. Like, yeah. And I like, you know, like I like, stickers too like but i usually put them on the case of the guitar exactly like, not like, the actual guitar like band sticker on guitar is dangerous territory it's like it's like a 22 year old dude growing a mustache it just it's tough to pull off yeah, you just wonder what you what's the worst i mean what would be your worst case scenario like you end up with like what sticker would you have purchased so you're saying like so like you're 22 like, and you've got your guitar out and you're like okay like in my life, what would I have done that I would regret now? Yeah, like, like within, exactly. Okay. Um, well, you know, we've kind of talked on the show before about Pearl Jam and being kind of ambiguous about them. And there was a point when I was a super fan. I could see myself having a Pearl Jam sticker and I would have regretted the shit out of that. I mean, like, there are probably other bits. I know there are work. Okay, I know. It hit me as I was talking. Oh, this is good. I never liked the crash test dummies enough <laughs> to own any merch, but that might have just been a function of there not being any merch, you know, during a couple weeks in 1994. That would have been fantastic. You had a, it's either that or but, either that or you put like an offspring sticker on your uh, face or something like that. Like that would be. That was never a temptation. But you know, like. I mean, so I was going to say, like, a Rush sticker would have been pretty embarrassing. But actually, like, if I had a Rush sticker on one of my guitars now, I would kind of love that. Like, that's almost cooler than, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting one because that one that one may have, like, may have waned from, like, being awesome to lame and back to kind of awesome. Exactly. Again. So that one's, that one's more of a, like, cyclical play. Yeah. You know, like, you could, you could go with, a, like, I... I feel like I would have put something on there that would have been just like embarrassing, like you know, like because I going to school in Iowa, you don't you don't exactly get the hot acts rolling through that are up and coming. So like, you end up going to shows by bands like Tripping Daisy. Yeah. Uh, so you know, like if I had a Tripping Daisy <laughs> sticker on my my guitar, like I feel like that I'd still be trying to peel that thing off. I got a harsh truth for you. What's that? Well, we're here in South Minneapolis. I I bet you 30 push-ups that within two miles of us right now, there is a guitar with a Weezer sticker on it. Oh, well, that's that's like a free space. <laughs> like, probably multiples. That's like a touchstone for people that are just a little bit younger than we are. Like, I don't even know what to compare it to. Like, I don't know. It's, I don't feel, I feel like it's like... Uh, it's like that generation's uh, equivalent of the Stairway to Heaven shirt that everybody had. <laughs> yeah. So fatal wound. I think we can. I think we can close the book on the fatal yeah. wound. My uh, my only other note on it is is a good one to close on. I think uh, the one thing I do like about this song, I don't like the song, but they sequenced it well. You get done with this, you're ready for Sandusky. I'm ready for Sandusky now. You ready for Sandusky? Yeah, let's uh, let's talk Middle America. All right.
back on. Welcome to Sandusky. I think this is, like, I own a lot of music. You know, I mean, with Spotify, I guess we own all the music. I think this is the most chill piece of music that I own. Yeah, it's probably my favorite instrumental only uh, piece of music that, well, I'm going to have to take that back. Like the Leo Kaki yeah. six and twelve string guitars has always been one of my favorites. Too. That's pretty tough to beat. It's among my favorite it's, instrumental pieces of music. It's top shelf instrumental. Yeah, I well, I've heard Jeff Tweedy say in multiple interviews that this is one of his favorite Uncle Tupelo joints. So he's with you. Do you find it odd that there are a number of hits online for Sandusky lyrics? <laughs> no, it didn't even occur to me to look. So I'm like, I, I, you know, I, this is one of the things I do is I Google the song and because yeah. I I like looking, I like listening to like looking at videos of performances and things like that. Yeah, it's like Sandusky lyrics. I'm like this is going to be a neat trick. Yeah. So I click on it and it's like this song has no lyrics. <laughs> Who wasted the time to put that out there? <laughs> like what? That's, like hopefully this is an algorithm and not yeah. like an actual person. That was my thought that it sounds like automation gone wrong. Well, so do you know the deal with the um the theme to the original Star Trek show? No. Yeah, you know, so like like Star Trek TOS original series um you know, it's got kind of that groovy like do 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 do. And as it played on TV, there were no lyrics, you know, like the the theme was instrumental. But Gene Roddenberry was such a fucker that he wrote lyrics to it that were never recorded so that he would get royalties on it. Um, so maybe there's something like that with Sandusky. I hope that's true. Pretty sure. I mean, like, I don't think things were that bad within the band at that point that they'd be like. I don't, I don't think so either. But uh, the our favorite site, Factory Belt, there's a little piece on why the song is called Sandusky. Well, what do they say? Uh, Tweety says, Sandusky, Ohio is a city we for some reason seem to end up in whenever we're touring. We like it because they have a really good amusement park. And there's just something great about a summer evening with colored lights, a Ferris wheel, and a nice cold beer. Which is like... It's pretty much a like summary about early Uncle Tupelo, yeah, right? Like, yeah. also must have been before they stopped drinking. I was thinking that that's yeah, kind of interesting there. Or maybe that's just to like an homage to their fans. Yeah, you know? maybe he felt like he had to keep up appearances. Yeah, right. Like, not quite ready to, not quite ready for the. For the uh, unveil of his new uh, his new plan, that'd be an interesting thing to go back and research. Like, I don't know. Like, did he present as sober? I, you know, like that's that's a weird thing. Where like it never even occurred to me to wonder about that. You know, for years. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's. Uh, I wonder how often that's that happens. Like they always yeah. talk about how Keith Richards is. At this point, like, you know, he used to do a lot of drugs, but yeah. at this point, he's sort of trading on the, like, legacy of a guy who used to do a lot of drugs. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because, I mean, like, a band like, you know, I think Uncle Tupelo, uh, part of the reason we're doing this is, like, they always seemed pretty sincere about what they were doing, but 
you know, they did have an image to keep up and God knows drinking a lot was part of that image. And, you know, I wonder if there was pressure, you know, external or internal, just not to let people know that he'd quit drinking. That's yeah, maybe it's maybe the fans. I don't I don't know, though. At that point, did they really have. I feel like their fans were a very small, dedicated group of people. At this yeah. Point, so it's pretty easy to feel obliged. It's almost easier to feel like you owe something, you know, owe the image to a small, intense group of fans. I don't know. I'll be I have no idea how I could ever do any research on this, but it's like the uh, the corollary. Do you remember the time? It's not really a corollary. It's more. This is pretty tangential, but when uh, Kiss performed without makeup, <laughs> do you remember this phase? Oh like, yeah. Like we're serious. Yeah, serious musicians, no makeup, yeah. and then they realized that that was a terrible idea and just <laughs> went back to full makeup. So was that the phase where they had the song "Let's Put the X in Sex"? Or am I <laughs> am I mixing up my kisses? So I'm going to level with you. My KISS uh, discography is not that great. Uh, I'm not sure chronologically where that falls. But, oh, man. but I, I do like the, I do like the serious musicianship. Of... <laughs> hey. And yet, you know, they got through. We're talking about it now. From a band that merchandised literally everything. <laughs> no makeup. We're serious now. That's right. <laughs> no more Catman. Well, <laughs> dragging this back to Sandusky. <laughs> so I think if you if you're just looking at the uh, just looking at album tracks and leaving off B side and bonus materials, this is the last appearance of Mike Hydorn on a full Uncle Tupelo album. I had to actually listen for his parts. Yeah, they're, they're really faint. He is buried in there, but he's there. Damn it. Um, I just I think this is another. Yeah, I know I've I've said this in every episode on on March, but this is another great piece of production work by Peter Buck. Just the way this song is put together, I mean, it's it's super super simple. It's just there's an A part and a B part, and they alternate. Each of them just have a few notes, but like the instruments come in and play off of each other, and the sound widens a little bit each time, and it's just so nicely put together. It's fantastic. It's got a great hook too. That like that like slide part. Yeah. It's just it just is intoxicating. And super easy to play. Is I mean for you. Uh, for you, to, there's like eight notes in the whole song. It. Well, at least on the guitar part, I guess other other instruments are doing other things, but it is. I don't know of another song that has like this crazy a uh, simplicity to ass kicking ratio. So it's interesting that you bring up the production because I found a quote from Peter Buck where he said uh, halfway through the week, I thought, gee, this is like working on a classic Rolling Stones album. What? This is going to be a great record. It's going to be around for a long time. Huh. So, and then he says later, you know, you only get to make a record like this so many times. Hmm. That's cool that he was aware, you know, that he knew at the time. And it's weird. Like, I don't know that I could name another album he produced. You know, maybe this, like, I've been raving about the job he did, but maybe this was like his high watermark. 
Did he produce any of the REM albums? No, they're all produced, or they're almost all produced by Scott Litt. And I think the band, you know, I think it was kind of a co-produced thing, but like they always had the same guy come in. And that's, I think that bit him in the ass a little bit, like once they started experimenting, because, you know, like producers are only good at, you know, like every producer's got their wheelhouse. And like, there's some of the, like when REM's quality starts slipping, I think it's partly because Lit didn't know what to do with them. Um, but I don't know. They should have, maybe they should have put Buck behind the board. Yeah, we'll have to look at that, see if there's anything else he produced. Yeah. Maybe, he's, maybe he has this kind of underground catalog of. I, I think I remember a band called Driving and Crying that he at least like championed. I don't know. But yeah, I don't think there's anything else of this stature. If we're, uh, if we're arm wrestling for REM fandom, Keith wins by a large margin. That was, that was my first love. Well, no, Led Zeppelin, then REM. Then. Um, yeah, so, okay, I had a note wondering if the city of Sandusky is cool enough to deserve this song. But I guess you demolished that note with your Tweety quote earlier. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds pretty cool. I mean, my only other pop culture comparison is the Chris Farley movie Tommy Boy which is set in Sandusky Ohio fair enough so um you know that's really my only counterbalance for for evaluating the city it's funny like I I have I have pretty positive feelings towards that city just based on this like instrumental song I don't know yeah I'm trying to it's interesting you don't have that same love for you know, Hotel California. Okay, here's the thing about that, though. Like, I hate the Eagles version of that. But the uh, the Gypsy Kings version... Oh, yeah, the one on the Big Lebowski? It's great! It's fantastic! I could listen to that all day. I, my Spanish is not great, but I, I, I know just enough to know they, like, change the words some. But uh, that's fine. <laughs> Those words are not sacred. Do you feel like you speak Spanish well enough at this point to like decipher the Pixie songs that are in Spanish? Actually, I'd, I'd say yes. I feel like that's that. There's like this level of Spanish. There's like this indie rock Spanish level, you know, where like the Pixies sometimes do it and the Clash would like throw in like terrible accents, drummer Spanish. I, I feel like that's exactly where I'm at. That's where you should uh, you should start putting that on your resume, like that you're you're conversant in. <laughs> I speak Clash Spanish. Right, you speak like uh, I speak the Spanish you need to know to understand the, the modern musician. <laughs> I'm going to be updating my LinkedIn profile as soon as we're done here. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> you know, so we've run into this problem before that like some songs are very good but very simple, and it's kind of tough to talk about them. I feel like that's kind of here. Like it, it's just, it's such a, it's so good on its own and so self-containedly good on its own that I don't know what else there is to say, really. Do you think was? Do you think they did it in one take? Do you think it's one? Do you think it's them all playing together, or do you think it's recorded as tracks and put together? I I was thinking about that. Um, I don't know. I I. I like to believe that it's one take just because that would be, I don't know. That's just that that's such a cool image is like everyone's in the room coming in. Um, I don't think you can really tell 
Yeah, you can't reverse engineer that from the recording, but I think it's plausible and it would definitely be a lot cooler if that's the way it came together. It just seems like it would be difficult to get that, especially in an instrumental song, to get that type of cohesion with individually re recorded tracks. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I guess I too, I'd like to picture them all just sitting down and hammering this out. Like, yeah. I feel like that's a, it's a, so the the next album is awesome, but it's it's sort of mired in the fact that you know like this is the this is the breakup of the band album. Yeah. But like this, you know, I want to think about this as like your this is their last like together moment. Everyone's together. Everyone's happy. Everyone's in this crazy groove. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a good way to close or almost close. Yeah. Totally agree. I just like the point about a minute and a half when the banjo comes in. I don't know. That's I, I, I cannot use words to express how much I love that. Like, it's just this cool, like, here's another cool thing. And the sound just expands out to the side a little bit more. It's, uh, so it's nice. almost like uh, Stop Making Sense, where they, like, they keep adding pieces yeah. for each song. You know, yeah. Like, the first, the first piece is just solo with a boom box, and then they bring, they keep each song they bring in a new piece totally like that's kind of what it feels like that whole aesthetic just crunched down into one song yeah yeah totally agree we are rolling um wipe the clock Okay, so we talked, <laughs> very karate kid there. Um, we've talked intermittently through, you know, through all of our episodes about like, is this song country? Is this song punk? Is this, you know, and then we get to March and it was just kind of more nebulous. Like, what is this? To me, this song, this is like a pure, pure, none more folky, pure folk song, I think. Yeah, and I think a really good use of Jay Farrar's voice. Yes. Um, especially his voice played off his guitar. Like yeah. Really, this one thing that, one of the Jay Farrar's is deliver these kind of haunting solo performances by, like, changing his voice. Yeah. Well, that's, I, yeah, I think his voice is different here. He sounds just kind of more exhausted and beat down. And, like, this song is the song for that. Yeah, it's uh, it, I don't know. It, it it's like a, I feel a little bit inconsistent because I've been, I've been you know kind of harping on some of the downer songs, but yeah. I feel like this one is this one is a really good downer. It's song. a well executed downer song. I totally agree, and I mean like the contrast between this and Fatal Wound, I think, is kind of harsh. You know, like speaking as a pretty strong Jeff Tweedy admirer. Um, you know, at this stage of the game, the two of them trying to do basically the same thing, just it seems cruel and unfair because Farrar does it so much better. Yeah. He's much better at it, but just some of the lyrics that he comes up with, like the, like leaning on a stoplight, waiting for eventual change. Yeah. Like, just, just really good. Yeah. I, I think this, I, I think this is the best collection of 
great J4R couplets on the album. You know, just like the whole song is is just fucking fantastic lines. The bit about uh, someone said no story, no gain. I, I you know, I, that, that's great. And you can sit down and you can like kind of puzzle. There's some value in actually puzzling. Like, well, what's he trying to say? Oh, well, that's pretty insightful. Um, I love the bit where, you know, the words and the way he delivers, um, I despise what you crave. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Usually when you, when you use the word despise, it's hard to, it's hard to make it sound that cool. Yeah. But it's like the way he delivers it. I don't know. It's almost like the, it's like the trick that Bob Dylan uses where he changes the pronunciations of words slightly so that they, yeah. so that they rhyme and or sound cool. Yeah. Like that's kind of what he, what he's got going here. He just does a good job of manipulating the, the English language to totally agree to, uh, to really fit the song. One thing with this song, like I, you know, this is not any kind of negativity about it. There's the, uh, there's the bit about the, something that made the black top insane for a long time. I heard that as made the black cow insane. And, you know, I had, I, I, you know, was pondering that, like, what, what is the black cow? Why is it significant that it's insane? What is the story, Jay? It's actually a commentary on the mad cow disease. <laughs> Jay Farrar's desire to eat raw beef. <laughs> I need some mad cow Angus. Mad Cow Angus would be a good wrestler name. I yeah, think. I would not. I would not want to tangle with Mad Cow Angus. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird because, like, I mean, he. There are other very good J for R songs on this album, but I really feel like this one, like, this is the best written song. You know, lyrically, this is like like nothing else he does on this album comes close to this. Yeah, it's for me. I mean, I I do love even though he didn't write the song, his version of Moonshiner is yeah. one, of my, one of my favorites. But uh, but this one is really, really good as well. I always remember when I first moved to the Twin Cities, too, I was reading City Pages, the, the alt-weekly, and I don't even remember what the story was about, but someone had written a story about something, you know, very specific there. But their headline was Wipe the Clock. And, like, I just remember reading that and thinking, like, well, okay, this author is, like, they're one of my people. Uh, you know, and, like, I just, I, I felt this, like, intense, like, yes, yes, the cult is out there. Yeah, that's, everybody wants to belong. Yeah. And I think everybody wants to be in on the joke, right? Like, yeah. in on the, you know, whatever the, whatever the puzzle is. Yeah. That's kind of fun when you uncover some of that. Absolutely. Do you feel like if you were, and I know you, I know that you have this in you, you know, would you be upset as a like flat earther with this <laughs> gravity's the winner? Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, for those of you that don't know, Keith believes the earth is a disc that's moving <laughs> upwards at 32 feet per second. Oh, is that part thus, of this? Thus creating the illusion of gravity. It, it, I'm sorry. Is that part of our theory? <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that part. That's 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 fantastic. Uh there's a over just over on 43rd Street a couple blocks away there's a big sticker that says uh the earth is flat and satellites do not exist. Um so there's at least one true believer in this neighborhood or at least a person with a sticker. So how do if 
if that's your worldview, like, what's DirecTV? Yeah. A scam, man. It's just cables. But there are no cables. That you know about. <laughs> uh, you know, like, you can't use logic to persuade someone out of a position they didn't logic themselves into. I, I think the, the disc moving upwards at 32 feet per second is is awesome because because it's like it's it's like it, it's my favorite kind of pseudoscience where you're trying to refute a very specific point yeah by coming up with something that's just ridiculous <laughs> i well so and it's so ridiculous like i hadn't heard that until you said it if i was arguing with somebody about that and they dropped that on me i would be so dumbfounded that i wouldn't right. know how to respond because yeah. it, what's causing the acceleration could be anything <sighs> <laughs> and on that note, like the, the, the gravity's a winner and it weighs you down. Like I've loved that line. Yeah. I don't know, 25 years. No, it's, it's, it's probably one of his best lines. God, that, that just, that, that, that so perfectly encapsulates what it feels like just to be beat the fuck down. Yeah. It's, it, it's a very, uh, I don't know. I hesitate to use the word poetic, but it's, it's oh, sort of poetic. It's poetic. I, it is. I'm glad Jay Farrar does music. Um, not all great lyricists. You know, I don't think that everybody who writes great lyrics, that it always works well as poetry. But I, I think Farrar, when he's at his best, it would. Like I, I think this, you could just see this on a page and get something out of it, you know. Yeah, especially, I mean, I think every, well, I guess I don't know this. Maybe there are people that don't feel like they've been beat down by the system. But <laughs> I know I've felt like that from time to time. Yeah. Often when I have no reason to feel like that. But uh, no, I, I feel like those, you know, just knowing that someone else has felt like that at some point and wrote this down is, has always been has always been helpful for me. Yeah, it's good to know that you're not alone. You're yeah. not the only person who has felt like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get that same feeling when I listen to Fatal Wound. Right, right. It's sad, but true. No, and like I, that line in particular, like gravity is such a good metaphor for being caught in a shitty system because the whole point of like looking at sy systemic oppression is like you can't win because or it's very hard to win because the system's everywhere and it it's relentless and that's like gravity. Has a lot of inertia. Yeah. Basically, you need to go to physics to really get the good metaphors. Classical physics. Yes. Right. None of this quantum shit. Yeah. So Newtonian physics only. The only physics that matters. One thing that jumped out at me listening to this, too, like, I, I think it works really well with this arrangement. But if you imagine Farrar, like, stepping up the energy level of his delivery and then put an electric guitar and drums behind them. This, this could be a Trace era Sunvolt song, like 100%. I think that's what makes Trace such a great album is that it's, it's a combination of instead of this, this being like, you know, great lyrics, great voice, it's great lyrics, great voice. And then tacking on some kick-ass guitar and drum parts. Yeah. I think you're right. It's like him, Taking this mode and just like, I'm going to fucking suck every ounce of goodness out of this I can. And then keep on sucking. Yeah, so it, it's hard when you hit it out of the park with your first one. That 
there's sort of this natural impulse to gauge everything like versus trace yeah. like I, they probably would have been better off if like trace had been their like third or third or fourth album yeah you know like you know, like you don't you, you depending on your favorite wilco album like you don't you don't just write yankee hotel they didn't just write yankee hotel foxtrot out yeah. of a box or or summer teeth out of a box i had to build up yeah so you had you know you had am there kind of a little break everyone's like oh yeah it's fine yeah a couple golden smog albums in there to sort of wet your beak yeah if, if you're into like godfather lingo <laughs> the godfather keeps like oozing its way into the show yeah it's a, yeah. It's, it's a great movie it's mm-hmm. You know, I think we talked about this. It's kind of an average book, but it's it's, <laughs> it's a trash ass yeah. book. <laughs> well, I was trying to be generous. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 is Mario Puzo still alive? Is he going to come? Yeah, like, he died. So I read. I so I I actually ended up reading The Godfather kind of recently, um, and then I got curious and looked up Mario Puzo, and he he died a while ago. He's a weird dude. He apparently had like a really bad gambling problem wrote the godfather to pay off gambling debts he didn't think much of the book but then the world loved it so then he was just stuck like okay i'm gonna write mafia books for i don't know it's a weird niche he (laughs) i'm sure at some point mario puzo felt like gravity was the winner and it was weighing him down do you think he and ian fleming like got together for a beer and they're just like (laughs) We've been totally typecast yeah. our entire life. It just sucks. We are prisoners of our own success. J.K. Rowling walks in. Tom Clancy. <laughs> Tom Clancy. Man, he's stinking it up from beyond the grave. Uh, yeah, I, I, in a way, Jay Farrar is kind of typecast. Like, he probably only wants to keep making the music he makes. But like, imagine if Jay Farrar... So that's an interesting thing. Like... If Jeff Tweedy woke up tomorrow and was like, we're going to do the Wilco Electronica album. You know, people would push back on it, but people wouldn't, you know, like there'd be a constituency for it and people would give it a listen. If Jay Farrar was like, I'm going to do the Electronica Jay Farrar album. I'm going to do my Bob Mould Modulate album. Yeah. (laughs) His mom would be the only person who would want to hear it. Like He definitely is trapped in a way that, that Tweety isn't. Yeah, he's a little bit of a... It's sort of a prison that he's made, though, right? Oh, absolutely. By, by sort of making his fans, you know, like... Ha- having his fans know that he's he's comfortable in a very specific style of music. Yeah. So we think. I mean, the joke's on us. There's probably like a truck full of synthesizers heading to First <laughs> Avenue now. I cannot get that out of my head. Like uh, <laughs> Jay Farrar, it's like, okay, uh, we're gonna do something a little different here. Anybody like craft work? We're gonna do two hours of craft work covers. <laughs> I don't know. So a, a thing that I think is wild, we uh, Sandusky was Hydorn's big send off. I think that was also the last Tweety appearance on the album. I think this song is just for our um, just. Him with a guitar and a harmonica. Pretty weird. Yeah. So I think that's one of the takeaways for this album, at least for me, is, is I didn't realize how much of it is... I think I said, I've said this in every episode, but uh, 
how much of it is individual performances versus a yeah versus a full band same i didn't like i was kind of vaguely aware that there were a lot of both but i didn't realize how dominant it was and i think that's the big difference between this and anodyne then is like i think there are individual performances by both but there are more Ferrar and the Ferrar ones are better. And I think this is the last gasp of like this being Jay Ferrar's band. You know, cause on Anodyne, the dynamic, I think if I remember right, is completely different. You know, maybe we'll get into it and I'll revise that, but, but I don't think so. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's one of those things where it, it's, it's a, uh... I think I've, as we go through this, I've been kind of re-ranking the albums uh, yeah. in my head, and I, 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 I think I would still put this one second. As I think I would still go Anodyne, March, No Depression, and Still Feel Gone. Yeah. Um, but it's it's hard because like I like so Still Feel Gone is still a difficult one for me because I like a lot. I like a few of the songs on it a lot. Yeah, totally. But there's a lot of there's a lot of averageness in the in the back half. Yeah, and I think this one's just stronger. This one, e- even the bummers on this are interesting. You know, or when I say bummers, I don't mean like the song is sad. I just like the songs, the misfires. They're still kind of interesting, and even if there are two misfires in a row, they misfire in different ways. At least, um, yeah, I, this album is never boring. You know, even. Even if Fatal Wound is the song I always wanted to skip through, like it's not that long and it's, you know, there were still good lines in it and it's not three songs in a row that are boring in the same way. Yeah, I think for a 23-year-old or however old I was when I first listened to this, I think it it opened a lot of doors musically for me to, yeah. you know, things like uh, that Graham Parsons uh Grievous Angel album, yeah. the uh, that's kind of a GP Grievous Angel double album, that you know just kind of opened a lot of musical doors. So just a little different take on things. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned Leo Kopke earlier, and like I, I had this weird thing when I was younger where, if I like got too far, you know, even when I was like into my 20s and supposedly, you know, a confident adult. I would have this weird thing where I'd feel like I was doing something wrong if I wandered into different musical genres. Um, and so, like, it took me, like, a stupid amount of time to buy a Public Enemy album because I was like, I don't know, rap's just not my thing. Um, so dumb. But, uh, you know, I had the same thing going with folk. And, like, this album actually had a lot to do with me feeling like, well, it's okay to listen to folk music. Like you're not doing something wrong if you buy a folk album. And like this album kind of gave me the courage to be like, okay, well, Leo Kopke, what is the story there? And I, I don't know that, that that's just a huge gift. And I think, yeah, I guess I kind of blame, it's weird that I blame punk rock for this, but like that authenticity, like you need to be authentic to your scene, even though like, the Clash are one of the, my favorite punk bands, and like they were into reggae and all these different kinds of music. And, yeah, you know, like I, I don't know. It's just it was a completely ill-informed opinion that that yeah. I somehow came up with this weird purity thing. Yeah. 
Same. What a waste of time. Same. Well, and that's, I mean, yeah, I, I spent years fronting this like stupid, stupid purity idea that was based on Uncle Tupelo. That just like, you know, if you, if you are using any more effects than can be any more guitar effects than can be found on Anodyne, you know, you're a fraud and should not be able to play guitar. Summer teeth probably helps cure some of that. That was that honestly, yeah, that like helped knock the door down. But, you know, I mean, like I think about now, like, like, like I love St. Vincent's most recent album. When I was 23, I would have thought that was just heresy, you know, because, oh my God, she's using drum machines. Yeah. She mixes the guitar so weird. She has such weird effects on the guitar. I was dumb when I was young and Uncle Tupelo was the vehicle I used to propagate my dumbness. Yeah. Well, and part of your, part of your process out of that dumbness too. Yeah. Their fragmentation was my freedom. Something like that. Just Keith and his, his all country prison. <sighs> you know, it was real. Oh, well, wipe the clock. I don't know. This song is the sound that makes the colors go blind. I don't know what that means, but it sounds great. Right, yeah. I'm not even sure I know what wipe the clock means. No, but it sounds great. <laughs> it sounds so final. Yeah, I I have honestly been looking for a way to, to just to tell you I despise what you crave. Just, <laughs> just as a, I mean, yeah, like lost in the watershed, way out of tune. Every line. Yeah. Every nuts. line. I don't know that he, I don't know any song he ever wrote is like as just every line great as this one. Yeah, I wonder if you're Jay Farrar, if you're like, God, I'm kind of wasting him here. Like, I can only, <laughs> I can only put so many of these, so many. Of these, I've only got like a finite number of these great couplets in yeah. my in my brain. I think we've talked about this before, but to me, one of the big mysteries of Jay Farrar is that when he was young, like all the way through Uncle Tupelo, he was really cryptic. He was really good with words, but he would never like talk. You could never nail him down. You know, it was always like these cryptic statements that you could kind of puzzle something out of. But, you know, there's always this level of abstraction to them. And then he gets older and like by that Sunvold album, Okima and the Melody of Riot, you know, he, he just like flips and he's so literal and he's writing songs that are just like, George W. Bush is a butthead. <laughs> and I mean, like, yes, but yeah, he's. So I mean maybe that's maybe that's why I like this classic era for our of like the nuance of yeah you know you're not exactly sure what he's talking about but you know, you're but you but you get it it doesn't yeah it's like it doesn't make any sense but you get it well, he's giving you this great kind of prepared canvas that you can project your own meaning onto and and he stopped doing that and it was. We lost something when he stopped doing that. We also lost something when the Bottle Rockets recorded that The Bar's on Fire song. <laughs> yeah. But there were good Bottle Rocket songs after that. One or two per <laughs> album. Consistent one or two per album. <laughs> um, <laughs> resisting the temptation to go down another Bottle Rockets hole here. Uh, anything else on Wipe the Clock? I don't think so. We are running a little long here. Um, well, let's wrap her up then. Thanks for listening. Uh, I, again, I'm Keith. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly. Um, and I'm Chad Cook. 
You can find me on Twitter at, at Anthony Kiedis. <laughs> How I wish. Um, I wonder if that, that handle is available. If it is, I, I guess that's an act of malpractice on the, the part of Kiedis's publicity people. But, you know, there's nothing stopping you from getting Anthony Kiedis 6252. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Is it really that's my dream is just to start like just like answering questions as Anthony Kiedis? Okay, well, do you follow have you, have you seen the Twitter account that is a guy? It's like a playwright. Um the account is like I think it's at Dick Nixon. And it's just this playwright who like read a lot about Nixon and he just is on Twitter in character as Nixon and um he's actually like really his political acumen is as good as you know anyone else that i follow like he will deliver these uh assessments of current politics in character as richard nixon but they're really good and really worth like he never breaks character he's always richard nixon um and he does like it's one of the great twitter accounts it's like andy kaufman or something yeah it's yeah it's fantastic i i don't know so anyway, you should do that with Anthony Kiedis. I'll do that with Flea. We'll just kind of... <laughs> or Dave Navarro. We'll just slowly, like, be the Red Hot Chili Peppers. This is going to be fantastic. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, find us on Twitter if you want to talk about the show. Or talk about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, also, if you dug the show, please tell people about it or go to iTunes or Google Play and leave a review. Thanks, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon about the uh, remainder tracks of March 16th through 20th and uh, also Under the Bridge because that's <laughs> the best Red Hot Chili Peppers song. It's a matter of opinion. <laughs> Probably higher ground. Right, yeah. <laughs> Isn't Harry Brown a Stevie Wonder song? It is. Yeah. <laughs>